the hell? Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas. We are reacting to Manchester United's drab nil-nil draw with Chelsea. Carl, you and I were previewing this match in the previous episode, and we were both expecting a high-scoring affair. Not even close. Yeah, I, I must. I'm gonna hold my hand up. I think I predicted like a three-two or three-one. Uh, I would have taken a one-nil at this point, to be honest. Uh, the game really lacked in imagination. However, there was a lot of mini battles that took place. Um, the, I felt like each other's formations canceled each other out. We do have a couple of talking points for sure. Uh, not only from a lineup standpoint, but also some decisions made in the game. Yeah, I think we can get to, we can start with that. The starting 11, the formations, and I think the big question going into this match was going to be how much Ole weighed up the formation against PSG with the three at the back with the two wingbacks versus what worked against Newcastle. Obviously, he went with what worked against Newcastle, rewarded the starting lineup for that match, and have to say, again, very disappointing to see Donny van de Beek on the bench, Daniel James starting on the left. Uh, I don't know if it's too early to start with the Beckham boot, but Daniel James stole the show as far as that award is concerned. No doubt. Uh, I think that Beckham boot was decided probably after 15 minutes in the game and I think that's going to be a record for a long, long time when it comes to us covering these games. Uh, I, I don't even know. Like, I would love to understand what Ole was thinking when he picks James. Because uh, from an offensive standpoint, if he was expecting James to run at the defense and create chances, that definitely didn't happen. It was it was way too predictable. Uh, I thought Reese James uh, had him in his pocket uh, yep. the whole game uh, until whenever he got subbed off. And then from a defensive standpoint, I also don't know what Daniel James was adding, to be honest with you. Uh, mm -hmm. just because there were attacks coming down the right with Reese James crossing in and I'm I and Havertz was was still drifting in and wasn't being tracked by James at all so yeah uh, a lot left to the imagination when it came to that Daniel James selection I know I'm being a little harsh but uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one I don't even know if you're being that harsh again we praised Solskjaer for the PSG tactics a lot and they were thoroughly deserved, and he got the reward he deserved as well with the three points. But in this match, I think to just say I'm going to reward the players that started the match against Newcastle and came away with a 4-1 result after conceding that very early goal, I think you have to look at the matchup, and you have to look at Reese James and say, okay, physically, Reese can overwhelm Dan. And then you look at even when Dan James is going 1v1 against Azpilicueta, there's no advantage there. So that's where you have to look and say, okay, you know, maybe I need something different. I need a different dimension here. And I thought that thinking was lacking. And then over the course of the match, we saw a lack of inventiveness from him where, you know, maybe... You know, before we get into all that, we can get to the first big talking point of this match, which happened about the, what was it, the 40th minute where uh, Chelsea have a ball go into the box and you have Maguire defending Azpilicueta, puts him into a bear hug, 
Yeah. And it, and it does not even get reviewed. That that was the shocking thing to me. The fact that it did not even go to VAR. Uh, so apparently VAR reviewed it and, and decided it was that, nothing. They said there's nothing to check, which is an even bigger talking point. Wow. No, that's that's shocking. That's absolutely shocking. Um, to me, that's a pretty clear penalty. I don't I don't know what you what statement you're trying to send or what what the messaging is there where maybe they're saying, oh, if 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 you call that, then you have to call every corner every free kick because there's a lot of holding that goes on but to me i thought that was stone cold especially you know ryan giggs mentioned this uh when they were analyzing and breaking down the match uh if you w- watch the replay aspilicueta is cl- clearly going to get to that ball first and mcguire denies him his jumping ability mm-hmm. and holds him back and so to me it that was a no-brainer and boy Chelsea fans would have been absolutely livid because United went down the pitch and <laughs> were able to force a save out of uh, Edward Mendy. And I think that would have been a huge topic, talking point. Because And again, they looked at the penalty as well, right? When Rashford uh, w- w- was moving around and was able to tee up Mata for the shot. And so, boy, if, if United score on that, if United get a penalty after Maguire does what he does... That, yeah, that, that, that would not have been a good look. You know what? The They had a post-match uh, interview with uh, Aspilicueta, actually. And I think he actually summed it perfectly. Because like, he was the guy who was in the middle of that tackle, first of all. So he could easily have an extremely biased view. But I thought what he said was pretty eye-opening. He basically said, hey, you know what? Um, I thought it was a penalty in the game. However, uh, I understand a lot goes on in the box. So... What I would expect is, you know what, Martin At- Atkinson, he's the guy in charge of this game. He's in the pitch. Um, let VAR just let him go and look at the monitor. And if he feels like it was a penalty, then he should give it. At no point did Aspilicueta even say 100% it's a penalty. He said, go look at it and make a decision. So he was on the fence about it. So I thought that was really well done by him. Um, because clearly, from the point where Martin Atkinson was standing... It looked like, okay, Maguire had a hand on him, but that happens in the box. You can't call all of those, right? But from the other angle, it showed the chokehold from Maguire. And um, I'm pretty sure there would be a couple of uh, WWE wrestlers who would be pretty proud of that move, uh, myself <laughs> included. But uh, the other angle was pretty clear. Uh, once again, these are Vivek and I are both Manchester United fans, and we were both saying that was a penalty. So uh, VAR needs to get their act together. Apparently, during the uh, post-match breakdown, it was a question of when there are decisions that need to be in the in-game, where there's no stoppage in play, where the ball doesn't go out, uh, mm-hmm. it's much harder to make a decision because there's a time factor. However, from what, what has been stated in the past, like VAR is not pressured to make a decision within 3 to 5 to 10 seconds. They just need to make the decision right. And so I think that's a part that they need to really solidify moving forward because the whole purpose of VAR was to to make the correct decision at the end of the day uh, regardless of any sort of time pressures so I was a little little shocked to be honest I mean it had definitely helped our cause yeah no I hear you on that and I think we can maybe move on to the second half because again there's very little that happened <laughs> in the first half of note, just not much to write home about. And so second half, 
I think the, the main talking point that we'll have is 58th minute, the subs come in, uh, Juan Mata and Daniel James come off for Paul Pogba and Edinson Cavani. Cavani making his debut almost scores with his first touch. And it was a slick little deflected attempt. And I think he was sharp in the time that he was on the pitch, really sharp. Uh, I thought there were several occasions where United had the ball in their own half and you could see he's reading the defender on it, on his shoulder and looking to make that run. And no one was even identifying that he was doing that. And no, and even when they did, I felt like they were just looking for the simpler path because they don't really have the belief that they can play that ball. And when we're talking about uh, who it was, the, the main two culprits were Scott McTominay and Fred. Yeah. No surprise there, Vivek, but uh... <laughs> Just to, to I guess, uh, give like a balanced view on that. So first of all, I completely agree. I think Cavani, uh, forget about even if he doesn't score the 10 goals that we want him to score this season. The fact that he's making those runs, I'm really hoping that Rashford, Martial, Greenwood are all watching him and the way in which he makes those runs. And more importantly, the timing of when he's making those runs. That is so key to unlocking a defense, especially when we start to play those games where the teams just pack it at the back and we have a hard time breaking them down. I hope they're watching. I know within our own uh, fantasy WhatsApp group, we have uh, people on both sides of the fence. There's some people um, who are not happy about the Cavani signing, thinking it was a last-minute move that uh, just reeked of uh, desperation. But um, I think Cavani signing is going to be excellent. I think the experience that he's going to bring to the team is is going to be extremely valued and it's going to make all these young guys better for it just like Zlatan did uh, now when it comes to the actual game with Fred and Scott honestly the defensive job they did was fantastic it was top-notch yes, no the question. Num- number of interceptions that Scott and Fred made broke up so many Chelsea plays uh, I thought they mirrored Kante and Jorginho because they both did the same thing on the other end the number of interceptions they made was also fantastic so basically cancel each other out but once again it was just frustrating because there were a couple, more than a couple of times where they intercepted and they actually had time on the ball they weren't brave enough to actually play that forward ball they just wanted to play it sideways and by that time Chelsea's yep. already set up again so I think yep. I don't know if you're Ole what you do because like hey you're, you needed to tighten up after losing your last game 6-1 at home right but at what point do you find that balance between tightening up and also unlocking defenses with that forward pass I mean there is some guy named Donny Van de Beek on the bench, but uh, we can we can we can talk about that till the cows come home. It's just up to Ole on when he wants to start to play him in there. Yeah, and that's where even if Van de Beek's not coming on, I thought at least some type of change in the formation could have helped. Like I remember initially when the subs came on, the commentators said, or at least they got the impression that it switched to a four-one-four-one, but it it didn't. It was, it was, you know, the four-two-three-one with uh, Bruno uh, out wide on the right. I'm forgetting who was in the middle. It was Pogba in the middle and Rashford went on the left and they put Cavani. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rashford was on the left and Cavani up top. I thought later at least at least they made uh, Ole made the switch to get Bruno central again because uh, I think that's where he's best operating out of. But I, I thought... To not go, you know, four one four one, or you know, maybe have Rashford and Cavani play together up top. I thought something different uh, to change it up would have helped. 
And, you know, I think especially with players like Fred and Scott, they're so defensive minded that even if you put them into a four, you can still depend on them to perform their defensive responsibilities. Yeah, actually, to your yeah, point, just, Vivek, um, you just brought back uh, when I watched Ole's uh, post-match uh, interview, he actually said something was that was telling and might answer why the formation was so rigid. He said that, you know, the last time when United went to Par- Paris and they came up with that fantastic 3-1 victory, we know what happened later. And what he was referring to was that our season kind of went downhill after that. We started to lose a lot of games, right? right? So Ole actually mentioned in the conference, he said like, hey, we know what happened last time. We wanted to make sure it doesn't happen again. So it's almost like he set out to say like, hey, we're not losing this next game, right? And so Mm. I don't know if that's the right mentality, but um, I think that's one of the reasons why he was so rigid. But with the changes and the subs that were made, I have a question for you. Do you think that Pogba did enough to justify that substitution at the 58th minute? I thought his effort and intensity was lacking. I thought there, there, they had a couple of nice moments where he battled to win the ball back. But outside of that, he, he was a little casual, and it's not the first time we've seen that. And I thought, you know, there were times where he wanted a pass and he didn't get it. And I think he's, he's the type of player that, that does impact him negatively. And so when he makes a little run or he, he sees a little space and he goes into it and no one gives him the ball, he, he does sort of, you know, shrug his shoulders and get frustrated with that. So, yeah, it, it is a bit of a double-edged sword with Pogba where it's frustrating that when he is making good runs, because I thought even, you know, there were times where he was trying to get on to the left because I think maybe he identified a little bit that Luke Shaw is reluctant to cross the ball Uh, and so he was sort of trying to get into that space and maybe help him out and he wasn't getting the ball and so then he sort of goes back and you know he's trying to he's trying to play from the middle and yes just you you want more but again we we talk about patience for Donny van de Beek I don't know how much patience Pogba has to keep coming off the bench like this yeah so I think, I mean, Solskjaer kind of directly addressed that in his pre-match press conference where he said, like, Donny's time is coming. Uh, just He just needs to, to wait a little bit longer. So I'd probably make my judgment maybe after uh, November. If he's still on the bench, then I would be pretty upset if I were him. Uh, and I, just to second what you said, I think Pogba, uh, what was telling in the game was... Bruno was shifted out right, out wide to the right-hand side. And probably after 75, 80 minutes, you saw Bruno come right back to the center because he's like, I, I need to get the ball to get something going. I didn't think Pogba was running even close to enough to, to find space. He was just staying in certain areas right. and he was completely fine with that. And, and so, you know what? Fred was, whenever he had the easy option of passing to Pogba, he would, but Pogba... Uh, just didn't seem to, after he wasn't found, getting found the first couple of times, his appetite diminished. And then he was just happy doing the simple things and, and passing the buck on, so to speak. So I was a little disappointed with that. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. If there's another change we can quickly look at, it's at the 82nd minute or 83rd, Greenwood 
Mason Greenwood finally comes on for Scott McTominay as they're trying to find that goal. Obviously, not enough time to really make an impact. It was nice to see Greenwood on the pitch again and operating again on the right-hand side. Does the concern on the wings, how much of a problem is that? Where you look at, especially this match, Aaron Wan-Bissaka unable to get good crosses into the box. You look at uh, Luke Shaw unable to get good crosses into the box. Uh, it, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with Wan-Bissaka offensively. Obviously, defensively, we know what he's capable of and what he's bringing to the table. But he's crossing the ball the way he was at the start of last season. And the reason I say I'm disappointed is because I thought he made real strides coming out of the lockdown. And he looked like he had made real improvements there. But those seem to have evaporated. Yeah, it is a bit of a worry. I mean, on the left-hand side, we've got Alex Tellers, who should, you know, rectify that issue. But on the right-hand side, we still have, you know, no crosses coming in the box. Would you entertain the possibility of maybe Daniel James playing down the right to, to add some sort of attacking threat? In the EFL Cup, yes. In a Premier League or a Champions League fixture, no. Yeah, I, I would not have Daniel James on the pitch. I just don't think he's good enough. Um, I don't think he's there physically. I don't think he's there um, in terms of his IQ and understanding as well, in terms of that telepathy that you need in the final third with your teammates. I don't think he's there either. When I talk about that, I think about the moments where even you forget about being bullied off by Reese James and losing those one-on-ones, not being able to take on uh, Azpilicueta. I just think about when United are in possession as well. There's clear moments where all James has to do is support the play and be there for a pass. And he just wants to go on these runs and have the, you know these chipped balls or uh, you know through balls played to him. That's all you have to do sometimes. Just support the play and let it build up. And all he wants is to go on, uh, get on his bike and go on those runs when there's when it's really not there. So I think he really has to develop from that standpoint. He's got to have more uh, in his bag of tricks. Yeah, hopefully uh, his uh, national team coach can teach him a thing or two about uh, making runs down the wing and when to run and when to, to show, right? I mean, you saw Fred in the game getting frustrated with Daniel James where he... He was looking for that outlet pass and he just wanted to pass it to him on the wing and hold it for a second while the play can build up. And James went on a run and the ball went out of play. And you could physically see uh, Fred with the stop sign, just saying, stop, let me let me pass it to you and then we can go from there, right? So lots of learning to do for sure. He's, he's a 22-year-old kid and he's definitely not ready for the Premier League just yet. I think the last thing we can touch on is Rashford's curling shot in the final minutes. Looked like it was destined for the back of the net, but another great save by Edward Mendy. I think he, I don't, I don't think there's much of a debate here. He is the long snap, long shot. I mean, obviously not much known uh, about him coming into this match. And he came up with a big performance. I said that, uh, you know, based on the saves he made, Kepa's injury was the difference in this match. And he might have a place uh, for himself in this team for, for a little while longer. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think <laughs> I know you mentioned the Kepa injury, although I think you were a little optimistic because I think uh, Chelsea's number two is Peter Cech, not Kepa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and to your point, I mean, long stuff, long shot for sure, Edward uh, Mendy. Uh, I would have given him 
like a 10 out of 10 in this game. Uh, the only reason I'm giving him a eight or a nine is because I think earlier on in the game, he almost put the ball in the back of his own net with one of those back mm. passes. Uh, yeah. And that was probably the only blip in this game for him. But yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, the awards, we've already covered the Beckham boot and the long stop long shot. Uh, who would be your uh, Cantona caller for this game? So for me, it's kind of a toss-up between Marcus Rashford and Victor Lindelof. Honestly, if Rashford would have finished off the gift he was given in the first half and that opportunity to score on Mendy, I thought his shot was just a little too close to Mendy. And you could see Solskjaer's disappointment as well. If he scores that goal, then uh, he, would, he would be the, I'd give him the Cantona caller. But I'm, I'm going to go with Victor Lindelof. I thought he was really solid. When you think about Solskjaer potentially opening up a can of worms by not playing Tuan Zebe after the performance that he had against PSG, any mistake that Lindelof made would have been magnified. So uh, I think I, I think he was really solid in this match, and uh, I, thought, I thought the partnership as a whole, him and Maguire, looked really good. Again, United, defensively, it's very hard to have any complaints. It's just that offensive creativity that was lacking. And again... You know, Lindelof, it wasn't just the defense. Uh, second half of the match, I thought he made a lot more runs going down the pitch. That's when he's at, at his best, right? Because he does have that skill where he is able to, to make those driving runs. And so uh, I thought he had a few of those in the second half. So for me, he's my canton caller. I don't know if you have someone else in mind. No, I, I would agree with you. I think Lindelof really did well uh, after some of his shaky displays of late. Both, you know, one of his weaknesses is balls in the air. And I thought he was very decisive. He jumped. If he was going to foul the guy, he was going to foul the guy. But he was winning that header. And that's the mentality that I want to see. I thought he did a fantastic job. I was really impressed with his runs late in the second half. One where he got past a couple of players. And to your point about the Cantona collar, I think he can definitely pop that collar as high as he wants. Uh, partly because I want him to cover that really, really ugly mustache he's got going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this is a full round collar if it's going to cover his mustache. He's reaching those uh, snood levels that Fergie hated. <laughs> wow, cover a mustache. I, he'll, he'll need one of those, uh, uh, I don't know how many basketball people we have listening, but he'll need a Brian Colangelo collar for that. <laughs> I think we've covered pretty much everything we need to in this match. Is there anything else that stuck out to you, Carl, that, that, that you want to get to? Uh, the, the only thing that... I found surprising was that Alex Tellez was not even on the bench. He wasn't in the squad for the game today. So I was just curious to find out what's going on there. Does he have an injury? Is he going to be okay for the uh, Leipzig game? Because uh, I do want to see more of him because I think he can unlock some crosses uh, from the left-hand side that we desperately need. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It'll be interesting to see if we even find out. And quick little thing I'll add on Tuan Zebe is... I'm completely fine with him not playing this match just because he is someone who has had an injury history with United. And so to make him play twice in four days, I think would have been tough. And so, you know, hopefully hopefully we see him on the 28th. We've seen enough in that PSG match to know that he'll figure in at least one of the next two fixtures, I think. I hope so. Uh, I agree with you. The last thing we want is for him to be uh, you know, a Ledley King where he's a, a fantastic defender but just cannot play every three games, uh, every three days, sorry, yeah. I think to finish up, I would be remiss if we didn't talk at all 
about Marcus Rashford and what he's done off the pitch. Uh, I, I thought he had a solid, solid performance here against Chelsea, the winning goal against PSG. But his efforts to provide food for children in need in the UK after MPs rejected a bid for non-school term time food, I, I, he's used his platform, he's used his voice, and now several councils have promised to provide free meals for children in need. And this is on the back of, back in the summer, Rashford writing a letter uh, to help get 1.3 million children uh, free school meal vouchers during the summer. Again, you talk about someone at his age doing what he's doing, can't do nothing but applaud and commend him. Yeah, I think, you know, players of his age usually get a bad rap about being on Instagram and posting some silly Snapchat videos. Well, here's, you know, a youngster who's using his social media platform and his platform in general for good. I think he definitely needs to be applauded for that. Uh, clearly, he he's empathetic and he knows what it feels like and he doesn't want kids to go through that again. And I just have to agree with you. Just like for a guy who's 22 to be doing what he's doing. I remember when I was 22 and I was just a complete... Uh, <laughs> What's what's the kind way of putting I'm it? Surprised you remember much of twenty two, bro. <laughs> I wasn't the most uh, mature, so yeah. So I definitely want to applaud Rashford for for what he's doing for sure. Um, there's a couple of other things that now that we've just you know completed the post match analysis that I wanted to go over as well. I think we should definitely uh, preview our next game. But before we mm-hmm. get into that, I just wanted to briefly touch upon uh, the Manchester United finances that were on the news. Uh, when they just released a couple of their numbers. Uh, no surprise with our revenues being down quite a bit because we don't get uh, any ticket revenue and also our store at the stadium uh, generates quite a lot of sales. Uh, yeah. But what I found interesting were two main points. Uh, United's uh, EBITDA, so I'm getting a little technical here with the finance terms, but basically their revenue before you know taxes, depreciation, etc. was £132 million. Pounds. Now, there is a clause where if United's revenue drops below 65 million pounds, the shareholders have a right to act. And what that means is they can take decisions. So basically, in essence, our revenue cannot fall below 65 million. And just wanted to point out that Jaden Sancho, the price tag that Dortmund had for him was 108 million pounds. Or was it euros? I can't remember. In any case, it was above 100 million, right? So now, and and Dortmund wanted all that payment in one shot. They weren't willing to take a breakdown, which is what United wanted to do was installments, and they didn't even want to go that high in the first place. So just, if you you do the quick math, if we give up 100 million for Jadon Sancho, we fall below that 65 million threshold. So that's just to give, you know, our listeners and the fans uh, an idea from the financial side of of why that deal didn't make sense from a just purely financial standpoint. Now I'm not I'm not disagreeing that it made sense from a, from a footballing standpoint. Clearly, Vivek just covered that you know our threat from crossing down the right hand side is poor at best. So uh, I just wanted to give you guys a snapshot of of uh, from a financial standpoint why we couldn't afford that transfer. I think that's great insight. Obviously, we talk about the impression that Manchester United have because of their name and their stature, but uh, certain decisions do come down to things like these. And so I think it's good for listeners to know that. And so thank you for sharing that. And 
yeah, hopefully they can build some serious revenue with with the Champions League fixtures and, and keep that run going for as long as possible and, and build from there. But I think for today, this could have been a big win for Solskjaer. I was reading that he could have become the first United manager since uh, Sir Matt Busby in September of 1965 to win three straight league matches against Chelsea. Not even Ferguson did that. So he missed out on that instead. United have now failed to win any of their first three league home fixtures for the first time since 1972-73. So uh, disappointing to have only picked up one point from nine in three matches at Old Trafford. Obviously, not having the fans creates a bit of a negative effect or not as positive an effect as you would like. And we go on to October 28th against... RB Leipzig on Wednesday. Yeah, any any prediction, Vivek, for that? From a lineup or a results perspective? Look, I think the lineup, I think he'll stick with the 4-2-3-1. Maybe, you know, obviously I expect a few changes. I would say that... Axel back in the team? I, yeah, I, w- I would say that Twanze becomes back. Van de Beek? And, no, I, I don't think Van de Beek will start. I think, obviously, now with Marshall, you know, he, he's... Champions League eligible, so I think he'll play, and then uh, Rashford will go out wide. I, I think that will be the change. I, it's really a shame that Marshall uh, gets three matches for that little slap. You, you feel like that's something that shouldn't be more than a game. But, oh well, it is what it is. I feel like yeah, neither here nor there with that comment. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. I think, I, I was, I think yeah, Marshall's definitely coming back in the team. Can't see the formation changing too much. I think Ole knows that if he can get six points this early in the group stage, that definitely sets them in a, a good good light, especially since both of those were away fixtures, whatever that means these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Because Tellez wasn't in, does he start? Tellez, I think, will start. Okay. Based on also you know Luke Shaw's history of injuries, I, I, I see Tellez starting He's because Luke Shaw has played quite a few games over the last little bit. But hey, maybe Luke Shaw and Tellez start if Ole goes back to his three at the back, right? So, Yeah, I, I, I think the only reason I would be surprised if he went back to that is because to have that level of respect for PSG and their front three in Paris is one thing. To show that level of respect to RB Leipzig, again, you know, Champions League semifinalist, but I think to show that level of respect at at home, that would be an entirely different matter. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can rate, review, subscribe, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. And thank you for listening. Tune in. We'll catch you Wednesday after RB Leipzig.